Welcome to the Stay Healthy El Paso podcast, where we help El Pasoans get away from taking pain medications, avoid getting injections, avoid surgery, and keeping up an active lifestyle. This podcast is presented to you by Dr. David Midoff, expert physical therapist and owner of El Paso Manual Physical Therapy. It is our goal and intentions to provide you with valuable tips and insights from experts in the El Paso area so you too can stay healthy, fit, and energized. Now here is your host, Dr. David. Hey El Paso, this is Dr. David, specialist physical therapist from El Paso Manual Physical Therapy, and I'm bringing you today the Stay Healthy El Paso podcast. We're going to be talking about why a rotator cuff tear happens and the three-phase process to naturally fix it. Now, here in the clinic at El Paso Manual Physical Therapy, we follow this three-phase process. There's a lot of detail to it. I'm just going to kind of give you an overview about it. It is possible to kind of adapt it for yourself at home. We teach our clients here how to do it at home, and we'll get into all the details about it. But first, I want to answer the classic question that we get from every patient that comes into the clinic, as we see them regularly um, with a rotator cuff tear, they always ask, how did this happen? Why? What the heck? You know, I, I was fine last month and now this is happening. And, you know, my shoulder hurt me a little bit, but now it hurts a lot and I can't do a lot. And, and so we're going to go into that. Now, let's get started with just talking about what the rotator cuff is and why it's important for your shoulder. So there's four rotator cuff muscles and tendons. And and just to talk about muscles and tendons real quick, muscles, I think most people get, it's the the part of your body that when you tighten it up, it, it gets harder and thicker sometimes and, and it moves your joints like in your in your bicep, everybody thinks about that, you know, the, the flexing muscle in your arm, um, the, the, the part that that everybody wants to have bigger, you know, the big biceps, that's the muscle. What most people don't understand, though, is the tendon. A tendon is at the end of muscles, and it connects, it attaches the muscle to the bone so that when the muscle contracts and squeezes, um, it yanks the tendon, which yanks the bone. And that's what causes movement at a joint. So up in the rotator cuff, you've got four rotator cuff muscles, and they all have associated tendons that connect to the shoulder, to the, the what's called the humerus, the upper arm bone, and um, it pulls the socket, the ball into the socket. So it is heavily important for the stability and fine-tuned movement of the ball and socket joint in the shoulder. Now the four muscles real quick are the supraspinatus, the infraspinatus, the subscapularis, and the teres minor muscle. All four of those come together to form the rotator cuff. Now, when you get a rotator cuff tear, it's most commonly in the supraspinatus tendon, which is the one that's closest to the top of the joint. And there's different types of tears. So if you've got a tear out there, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be familiar with these terms. And the way they find these is, is usually with an MRI, by the way. So if you haven't had an MRI, then chances are you haven't been told these, these terms. Um, but if you have had an MRI, then this is going to be familiar to you. So you might have a, a partial thickness tear, also called an incomplete tear, and a full thickness tear, or also called a complete tear. Partial thickness tear just means that 
the way the tendon tore, it's almost always the tendon that tears, by the way, it, when it comes to the rotator cuff. Um, it's only partially torn or, or detached from the bone. It's not fully torn or detached. Um, so it's still hanging on and it's still use, it's still being used to do its normal function in the shoulder. Now, a complete tear means it's just about nearly detached from the bone. Um, what I see is that most people can still use the, the muscle when they have a complete tear. Um, and so that indicates that it's still attached somehow, um, but it's probably hanging on by a thread is, is really what's what's going on. Um, now, you have to understand with MRIs, you know, they're, they're not the gold standard to an MRI. In other words, what's better than an MRI is going in with a surgical camera and observing or looking at the tendon. That's the true way to diagnose a tear. But of course, surgeons aren't going to say, well, let's just do surgery to stick a camera in there just to diagnose it. They're, they're not going to want to do that. They're only going to do that if they're going to actually do something about it. So the MRI is the next best thing because it, it isn't invasive. It, it takes a picture of the inside of the body, but it's not as good. So that means that there's a possibility for the MRI to be wrong about how bad the rotator cuff is torn in some cases, it's completely wrong. There, there isn't a tear at all, and the MRI is showing that there is a tear. That's called a false positive in, in the medical world. You can also have a false negative. Um, but anyways, what a false positive is, is they, you go get an MRI, and the doctor says, based off the MRI, you have a rotator cuff tear, whether it's a full thickness or partial thickness, and then, and then the, the way that you find out that it's false is when you end up having a surgery for it. And the surgeon says, you know what? I opened you up and um, there was nothing wrong. Not sure why your shoulder's hurting, but your rotator cuff's just fine. So we closed it back up and um, we cleaned up a couple things that we could find, but you really don't have a tear. And so then you had a false positive MRI. So just want to give you a heads up about MRIs is they're not always 100% right. Um, but what they're good at is blatant problems. They they do find, you know, blatant, huge issues, but smaller issues that aren't as uh, as significant, they, they might have a false positive. Some other differentiations to make within rotator cuff tear types is acute versus degenerative. An acute tear means that it just happened because of some event like you were in a car accident or you fell um, bike accident something like that some some trauma that happened that caused you to tear the rotator cuff versus degenerative the way that that typically comes on is there was no trauma there was no you know event that happened some fall or accident it just started hurting one day you know you it might have been something trivial that set it off like I went to go pick up that gallon of milk or that full coffee pot or I was picking up the laundry while doing chores at home or I worked a lot at home. I did a bunch of gardening or this project outside and by the end of it, my shoulder was just killing me and the next day it was hurting even worse and that's when I decided to go to the doctor and then they said that I have a tear. So um, very likely it wasn't just that coffee pot that you picked up or that, you know, the, the six hours that you spent doing that project at home. It was an accumulation of problems that were minor. It just happened that you met the threshold of, of pain. You passed the threshold of pain and activity 
to really set it off and further tear the the tendon and make it worse. Uh, but most often these people have had some shoulder issues here and there. They may not even be painful, by the way. Some rotator cuff tears are completely painless, but they just can't pick up their arm all the way or or they, they lose function. The The way that most people lose function, by the way, when I say that is, is they, they can't raise their arm all the way up overhead like they can their other arm. Um, reaching out ahead or at an angle like, like a kind of caddy corner from you is painful or, or you just can't even reach all the way out there. You don't have the actual strength or ability to get there. Um, reaching behind the back is very commonly limited as well. Like if you're trying to scratch a, an itch on your back or, or fish the the belt through the belt loops behind your behind your uh, uh, back, um, or for ladies reaching for a bra strap behind your back is is painful or just not possible uh, with these rotator cuff tears. So those are the different types. There's full thickness, partial thickness, and then there's acute and there's degenerative. Now, as you probably are already thinking, a full thickness tear is worse, and and a, a, an acute tear is going to be worse, and those are the ones that are more likely to have surgery. Obviously, if you've got a partial thickness tear, then you have a better shot at getting better without surgery. And if it's degenerative, degenerative, then usually you can fix things and prevent it from getting worse because it's not, you know, it wasn't some trauma that was kind of out of your control. It was an accident. Um, so, there are cases, though, and we've seen them here in the clinic, where people come in with MRIs that say full thickness tear, and they look pretty bad, and it's degenerative, you know, it's been going on for a while, um, and they get better. They get completely better, completely escape their surgery. We've had, it's consistent, I'd say a few times a year, three, four, maybe five times a year, we get people that are actually scheduled for surgery, like they they, when we talk to them on the phone, I, I hear this from, from the, our staff that answers the phone, they'll say, Hey, you know, we booked so-and-so for a visit with you, with you, um, next week. And, um, you have to, you know, be real careful with this person because they're actually booked for surgery at the end of the month and they're just seeing you for a second opinion. And, um, you know, once we see them in person and we talk to them, I, I do all the testing and we find out that they're actually a great candidate to do therapy before surgery and I always tell them look if it's if it's um that urgent for you please go get the surgery I'm not I'm not going to tell you not to obviously it's your decision it's your shoulder um but if you can wait maybe a month and see how this goes as far as physical therapy um then if it's getting better gradually you have an excellent shot at rehabilitating this problem naturally um without exposing yourself to the side effects and the risks of surgery Plus, the big, big, big factor for you, for that person is that they're going to learn what to do to keep their shoulder healthy for the long term, which surgery just doesn't teach you. You just lie on the, on the you know, you show up for your surgery date and they take care of the rest. You lie on the table and they do everything for you. And, and they do a great job, by the way. If you have to have a rotator cuff surgery, all the ones that I've seen, they, they're done so well. They do, they do a fantastic job. There are, you know, some surgery cases that don't turn out too well as as with every surgery, but I see that less so with rotator cuff repairs than with certain other surgeries. So um, it's not the worst surgery in the world to have, but it's still surgery. You still might get an infection. There's still risk for other problems to happen. So let's talk about the reasons for these degenerative tears. Obviously for an acute 
situation, it's, you know, you fell, car accident, something happened, it, you, you know the, the reason for it. There was an obvious problem. But when there's no accident, people are kind of left wondering to themselves, what the heck, what did I do? Um, so the, there's, there's four main components to this. Let me go into each one. Posture is one. If you tend to be in a, in a, a slouched posture because you work at a desk or you just that's just been your posture, chances are, it's not a hard and fast rule, but chances are um, within your shoulder joint, within the ball and socket joint, your joint isn't properly aligned when you're in that posture and you tend to shut down some of the muscles in the area as well, which causes the ball and socket joint to not be most congruent or, or the, the ball isn't in the socket as best as possible. It's not out completely to where your shoulder doesn't work, but it's not seated in as best as it can be. And if you move like that, if you live like that, if that's how your shoulder is forced to work, then it begins to wear down on the rotator cuff tendons around it. And gradually over time, you wear it down and wear it down and you begin to form a tear. Occasionally, some people will say, yeah, you know, my shoulder's kind of sore. When I pick it up, I, I just feel a little bit of pain, but I can do everything I need to. It kind of goes away after a while. And I've lived like that for years. And then one day, I, it was just miserable. I couldn't I couldn't take any more. I couldn't sleep on that shoulder. I, I had trouble getting my shirt on and off or washing my hair in the shower. Simple things become very, very uncomfortable to do. So um, posture is a, a big problem. Weakness is the next one. If you just have a weak upper body, you're going to be predisposed to getting some sort of rotator cuff tear problem. Um, the shoulder itself, the ball and socket joint, it's a phenomenal joint. Um, the only other ball and socket joint in the body is the hip. And the difference between the hip and the shoulder is the, the bone structure of the hip, the socket is very deep relative to the shoulder. If you look at the bone structure of the socket in the shoulder, it's it's tiny. The socket itself is 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 very tiny, and surrounding the socket is a bunch of cartilage and other tissues. And the the rotator cuff is a big stabilizing factor. And what you don't have to worry about in the hip is that it's more stable naturally because of the bone structure. But up in the shoulder, you have to rely on stability from these muscles. And so if you just are not strong overall in your upper body, you're very likely going to have uh, stability problems in the shoulder, which leads to tears in the rotator cuff. That's one of the first things that breaks down in the shoulder. So if you're kind of averse, if you don't like to go to the gym and work out your upper body, um, I see this especially in females because, you know, females just are more usually concerned about having strong legs than they are strong arms versus men are the opposite. They want to have strong arms versus strong legs. Um, they, you know, females tend to avoid working out their upper body, which years down the road, it can affect the rotator cuffs. And, uh, and we see a lot of these rotator cuff issues. Now in men, when we see rotator cuff tears, it tends to happen in the jock type of person. The, the classic is, is, uh, you know, somebody, it was a, a guy, he's in his 50s now, 60s even, and um, very active, has always played sports in high school, lifted weights, uh, loved doing bench press because that's, you know, the, the guy lift, the bench press, that's it. all the guys need to be good at bench press. And um, usually they've developed some sort of 
big muscle imbalance within the shoulder that's causing that ball to not sit on the socket right. And it may not hurt at the very beginning when, you know, the first few years that it's happening, but over time it can begin to cause a problem and you can begin to get rotator cuff tears. And once you hit a certain threshold, that can be really painful. So rotator cuff tears tend, the degenerative type, tend to happen when people hit their late 40s, 50s. Um, Usually if they've had some shoulder problems leading up into their 40s and 50s, they definitely have them by their 60s. Um, So if you're in your 30s or 40s right now and you're already having some, some shoulder problems, you need to fix this issue before it's too late because then you're going to end up getting a rotator cuff tear. You may already have a baby one going on, but it is possible to heal that. We'll talk about that more here in a second. So let's talk about uh, genetics next. That's the third factor for a rotator cuff tear, a reason for rotator cuff tear. Your shoulder genetics, inside your shoulder, there's, um, you know, right above the ball and socket joint, there's a piece of bone from your shoulder blade that overhangs on top of the, of the ball within the ball and socket joint. It's called the acromion. And the space between the acromion and the ball and socket joint, they call that the, the subacromial space. There's some structures in there. Of course, one of the rotator cuff tendons runs through there, the supraspinatus. There's a bursa that commonly gets blamed for problems. Everybody that has shoulder problems has some form of bursitis, shoulder bursitis. And some people go down the rabbit hole of trying to fix their bursitis when it's really a rotator cuff problem or some other related problem. And the, the, the bursa just gets irritated because of it. But it's not the bursa's fault. It's other, other things' fault. But people will go get injections for the bursa. Um, but anyways, that subacromial space can be reduced, which can cause compression on the bursa and the rotator cuff tear or the rotator cuff, which can lead to a tear. And so that space needs to be managed properly. Strengthening it, strengthening the muscles around the shoulder will allow the space to be more normal. Posture will also allow the space to be more more normal. But some people have a, a different shaped acromion, which can genetically reduce the space. So they just have less margin for error. So those people with, with um, a certain type of acromion shape need to just be extra careful that they have good posture and strength and they can manage just fine. But uh, uh, kind of the, the next factor, the fourth factor related to this acromion, this, the, the bone shape within their shoulder, is that if they are getting some rubbing on the rotator cuff tendon from that acromion, um, one of the degenerative changes within the joint is that they might get they might get bone spurs on the bottom part of the acromion, and a bone spur is just a an increased growth on the bone. There's all these theories on why they occur. I'll just give you my take on it. Um, one of the principles in the body, one of the the things that are that's always true in the body is the body adapts to forces. So just like if you get calluses, for instance, people get calluses on their feet on their hands, other parts of their body, depending on what activities they're doing. A callus is a response to some sort of increased repetitive force on the skin. Um, In order for the skin to avoid tearing and breaking down, it gets thicker. And it gets thicker to protect itself from from when you go back to do that activity, it won't won't tear. Well, the, the other parts of the body do that too. 
Just like um, if you go lift weights, if you're picking up weights to strengthen your muscles, your muscles feel the force of the weight that you're having to, to lift. And so they adapt by getting thicker and stronger so that you can pick up the weights again easier and maybe even pick up more weights. Tendons do the same thing. We know that bones do the same thing. If you've got osteoporosis, for instance, it's recommended that you go do resistance exercise or body weight bearing exercise because it tends to make the bones thicker so that they can be better able to sustain forces and not break as, as you get more active. Well, bone spurs, it is my belief that bone spurs develop kind of like a callus would develop on your skin. And those, those bone spurs develop to protect the bone from breaking or, or becoming irritated or injured somehow. So it's a sign that something's not right in the overall mechanics, the, the way that you move, the, 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 maybe your posture, your strength as well. There's some imbalance somewhere, somehow, that's causing this bone spur to develop. Well, if you got bone spurs on the bottom of your acromion, it's going to decrease that subacromial space and it can directly put pressure on your rotator cuff tendons and just cause a tear to come along faster than in other people. So that's just a genetic thing that some people have. So that covers the, the four ways that people will get a tear, the four reasons for getting a tear. Let's talk next about how to naturally fix it. And I'm going to kind of overview the our three-step or three-phase process for naturally fixing rotator cuff tears. It's quite complicated, and whenever we take a rotator cuff patient on, you know, we have to first see if we can help them or not, or if, if they if they really are a, the best candidate for surgery and they should go there first. And we always educate them. We say, hey, if you're going to go have surgery, that's cool. That's your decision, or it's, you know, very appropriate. I recommend it too. I think you should go. Um, you're, you're not going to do too well if we try to skip out on surgery. It's just that far gone, unfortunately. Um, but I tell them you still need to go through physical therapy after it's almost always the case. Whenever you have a rotator cuff repair surgery, you get sent to physical therapy. And the point of that physical therapy is to just get your motion back just to, because you're going to be all stiff and swollen from, from your surgery you're going to have to be wearing a, a, a sling, a special sling. You have to wear that thing at night. It's miserable to sleep with it. You just, you're going to be in pain for a long time, uh, usually three, four months after surgery. That's just normal for everybody going through rotator cuff surgery. But all the physical therapist is going to get you to do is begin to raise your arm up, move it out to the sides, move it inwards as your shoulder allows. They have to follow protocol and get it back to normal and I say normal in air quotes because most people that finish rotator cuff uh, repair physical therapy after the surgery they're not normal they'll tell you when I pick up my my non-surgical arm you know my good arm they'll say look how high you can come up and look at my other arm and they're they're lacking you know a good 20 30 degrees they're not normal yet um, but they've made a lot of progress obviously they they couldn't do anything near that after surgery so it's it's more functional for them. They can they can kind of get through life, but they may still not be able to sleep on that shoulder. They may still have trouble using the arm. It may be weak. Doing, you know, housework around the house is still a challenge for them. There's still a lot of rehab that needs to happen on their own, um, or they may still go to therapy for a while. And, and really, it, it takes a, the better part of a year to recover fully from a rotator cuff repair surgery. 
And then I tell these people that are going to go get, that are going to go get surgery is you still have to fix the underlying problem. If you think about it, there's, there's, if you had a degenerative tear, there's something about the way that you're moving, the strength, the posture, uh, maybe your genetics was, was a factor, but there's something that you can modify so that you don't have to have a surgery again, because we see that happen. We see people that get a rotator cuff tear, they go get a surgery, and then a couple of years later, they're back at the surgeon's office because their shoulder hurts again. And the surgeon's saying, you're developing another tear in the same area. I'm going to have to go do a double repair. And I always tell them there's something that wasn't fixed, that wasn't the surgeon's responsibility. They they likely did a fantastic job. It wasn't that the surgery's coming undone. It's that there's issues that are unresolved here that need, that need to be strengthened or, or moved better. And so if we get somebody who's a good non-surgical candidate, they, they should have physical therapy like we have here, the specialized type of physical therapy that we offer. Then I start telling them, great, I'm glad you decided to start physical therapy with us. You're going to learn how to manage this so that you don't have to have surgery. And if for some reason you, you have surgery, you're going to know how to manage this beyond that so that you're not having to have a second surgery. So let's get into the, the, the three-phase program that we take people through. Number one is the healing phase. Now, we, we sometimes skip this phase, but it just depends on, on where the individual is at. If we get somebody in here, um, let me use our last case, for example. Um, our, the last woman that we had in here, she is in her mid-60s, very active, loves to garden, loves to do projects around the house, is a retired teacher, and... Um, loves spending time with her family, loves baking, loves cooking. She just loves life and loves taking care of her family and her home. And um, it just slowed her down tremendously once she hurt her shoulder. She wasn't sleeping well because she couldn't lie on that side. It was her right shoulder. And even if she turned over on her left side, she just did couldn't get as comfortable um, as normally before the surgery. So it just impeded her sleep so much. Um, of course, her everyday activities were affected. She couldn't shower, you know, do, to do her hair. She couldn't put on her clothes comfortably. Putting on her bra was just super difficult with her right shoulder. Her complaint was pulling up her pants. <laughs> she said, you know, once I get my pants up to my thighs and I have to kind of, you know, put some effort into it to get them all the way up, it really hurt her shoulder. Um, so that was a, a big deal with her. She had to get her husband to help her out. And that's, that's, tough, you know, to have to get help to put on your clothes when normally you don't need it. Um, so she was definitely flared up and, and probably had a, a very acute situation. It not Let me backstep on that. It, she did have a degenerative tear, but it was very flared up right now. In other words, it was, it was hot. It wasn't like she had some accident um, because we get some people that kind of on their own before they get to us, they they flare down when they're they're flared up, um, and so they're not as as acute as we call it. They're they're not as 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 much in pain. They they can move a little bit better, but the tear's still there and needs to be fixed. Well, this woman was definitely flared up when she came in. She couldn't pick up her arm very much, and she was having trouble with all that stuff. So one of the first things we'll do with these people is we tell them we need to get that tissue under control. It's as if you you just like you cut your skin and you got some bleeding happening and. And, you know, the first thing you got to do whenever you get a cut on your skin is stop the bleeding, control the bleeding and bandage it up. And it's probably going to bleed a little bit 
you know, throughout that first day, maybe even into the next day until enough healing occurs that it stops bleeding. And, and then you just have to baby it for a while so that it, it scars down and becomes normal again. Same thing in the shoulder within these tendons. So what we told her is go get a sling, you know, the, the type of thing that you, you'd get if you went to the hospital with a shoulder problem. Just a basic sling, one that they sell like at Walmart or, or like a CVS or Walgreens. Uh, a lot of grocery stores even have them. They shouldn't cost you more than 20 bucks. Some, some are as little as 10 or even less. doesn't have to be a hardcore sling. And get yourself in that sling and you need to cinch it up real good so that it shoves your shoulder up. Because what I want to have happen, and I'll, I'll show people here in the clinic... I need that ball shoved up into the socket so that it's not tensioning the rotator cuff. Because if you don't have that ball shoved up into the socket, then essentially it's kind of hanging out. Gravity's pulling it down, especially if you have a tear, a full thickness tear. And you're just not going to bring the edges of the tendon together as easily to facilitate healing. So you need to have that sling on for most of the day. I tell these people, you can sleep without it as long as you can get comfortable, uh, you know, decently comfortable. But during the day, you need to use it. And it serves two purposes. That first one that I talked about to bring the ball up into the socket. But the second one is to reduce your usage of it. Because automatically, when you're in that sling, you're just going to use that arm less. You're, you're going to have to open the door with the other hand. You're going to have to, you know, not do that chore the same way that you were doing it before. And it's going to tell other people as well that you're hurt. So they'll be more likely to help you out so that you can baby that shoulder and let it flare down. Once you flare it down, then we're in a position where we can work some of the other muscles and start rolling into phase two, which is the clean up the motion phase. That's what I call it. When I say clean up the motion, we're looking at the way that all the muscles work together to control the ball and socket joint. Usually there's an imbalance between those and we have to clean up that motion, clean up that imbalance so that the forces are normalized and you can take pressure off that tendon that was torn. Uh, then you can begin to heal a bit faster. We also have to look at the shoulder blade and all the, the muscles that attach to it and move it around because that's a big deal. If your shoulder blade isn't moving properly, the, the outer part of the shoulder blade serves as the socket for the ball and socket joint. And all those rotator cuff muscles attach onto the shoulder blade and then they, they connect out through the rotator cuff tendons to the, the ball part of the joint and they bring them together and stabilize them. So we have to make sure that that shoulder blade is moving well. And then what gives stability to the shoulder blade is the spine, the, the upper back and the neck. And so we have to look at the muscles that give stability there and that and the posture that's going on within all three of those areas, the, the spine, the shoulder blade, and then the ball and socket joint. So we have to clean up the motion. There's some simple exercises to do. Um, they need to be done quite repetitively. Sometimes we need to hang out between the healing phase and the cleanup motion phase for a while. Once the healing phase is pretty much over, there, there isn't much pain in the shoulder at all, except with a few motions. And then the, the motion is cleaned up largely. People are, are learning how to move better. Then we can enter the strengthening phase, the, the, the third and final phase. And this is the longest phase typically because most of the time people that have this degenerative type of tear have chronic weakness. They just haven't, they've avoided working out their upper body or they, they just haven't worked out in such a way that's 
that's helpful for their shoulder. So we've got to begin undoing a lot of weaknesses that, that have been going on for years, maybe even decades. And strengthening muscles just happens slowly. You just need lots of reps over time. We start out people with some daily exercise. And then as they get stronger, we can reduce it to every other day. And then usually it's just a couple times a week as they start maintaining. The the last kind of uh, lesser reached phase, a fourth phase, if you will, is the maintenance phase, um, which which I'll tell people about, but I don't typically see them throughout that process. That's what they keep up on their own. And that maintenance phase is critical, by the way, because if they don't do, if they don't stay in that maintenance phase, they don't keep up the, the exercises that they're supposed to, which are usually some sort of overhead lift, some uh, two basic exercises, um, then uh, they can begin to regress and, and get their rotator cuff tendon injured again or irritated again. So those are the three phases, the healing phase, the clean up the motion phase, and the strengthening phase, and then the kind of bonus extra phase that you should hang out in is the maintenance phase. But but the first three are the ones that we carry people through here in physical therapy all the time. So that rounds out everything that I wanted to talk to you about for the podcast here. Um, the, 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 I wanted to answer the question of why does a rotator cuff happen and, and what are all the details surrounding it, the muscles, the types, the full thickness versus partial thickness, acute versus degenerative, and all the reasons that a rotator cuff tear can happen, and then how to go about naturally fixing it. And just one last thing about the natural fix. We, we see people with full thickness degenerative tears here all the time, and they get better. And what we know in the research is that it is possible to fully recover and maybe not even have your rotator cuff tendon attached again, but to move your arm normally. You can kind of compensate with other muscles. And it's my belief that the tendon does actually regenerate and heal. We just don't have solid research for it. We Hardly anybody that gets better goes back when they're feeling great and doing everything that they were doing before. Nobody ever says, hey, can I go get an, another MRI just to see if it's connected or not? It's I've never heard of that happening. Maybe it's happened here and there, but there, I haven't seen any research studies about that. It's just not studied. So a lot of people in the medical field will say, oh, once it's torn, it's torn, and you're not going to get it back. But we don't have any hard evidence to say that. So I think it's really a false statement, um, and it, but it's a common belief, and it's imparted on patients a lot. Um, but I've seen it happen here in the clinic over and over again where people get better, but they just don't go, you know, they don't want to spend the, the three or four grand to go get another MRI. Um, they just say, you know what, I'll pass. I'm I'm back to normal anyway. So um, think about that when it, whenever you're um, uh, considering surgery or considering how to go about fixing your rotator cuff problem. Anyways, I hope this has been helpful for you. Um, if it has, please share this with somebody that you know needs to listen to this, somebody else who's got shoulder problems, possibly rotator cuff tear. If um, you think that this information was helpful for you, I encourage you, I really actually let me request that you leave a five-star review for our podcast. That would really help to get visibility out there, to get more people to learn more about a rotator cuff problem and, and see other ways to help their shoulder besides medications, injections, and surgery. There there are natural solutions out there for a rotator cuff problem. Um, subscribe to our podcast if you uh, want to keep getting more information about this. I, I, I highly encourage that. We put out some content every week about uh, different body parts. Um, right now, we're talking all about shoulder and neck problems. Um, but please, I love the review. I love the, the for you to subscribe. 
and, and share this as well. Thank you, and I hope you have the best day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Stay Healthy El Paso podcast, brought to you by El Paso Manual Physical Therapy, where we help El Pasoans get away from taking pain medications, avoid getting injections, avoid surgery, and keeping up an active lifestyle. If you'd like to learn more about what El Paso Manual Physical Therapy can do for you, call 915-503-1314 or visit our website at epmanualphysicaltherapy.com. Mention this podcast for a free discovery visit valued at $100. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes and follow the show on your favorite listening platform so you won't miss an upcoming episode. Tune in next time to get the best health tips from experts in the El Paso area.